Today we're chatting with David Gandelman, the founder of Meditation School, host of Energy Matters podcast, and a meditation instructor at Cornell University. Hi, welcome to Your Great Journey. We offer brief tips, techniques, and insights to help you move in positive directions and master big change. For more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. David Gandelman has more than 10 years of teaching experience and has created a program that connects energetic experience, ancient wisdom traditions, and humor to create a safe atmosphere for people interested in developing their natural spiritual abilities and tapping into their creative potential through meditation. He is also the author of The Seven Energies of the Soul, Awaken Your Inner Creator, Healer, Warrior, Lover, Artist, Explorer, and Master. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Hey, Terry. Tell me a little bit about your background and what inspired you to teach meditation. Sure. Um, I started when I was 16 by reading some meditation books, and I just had this light bulb epiphany kind of awakening moment. Uh, and then I went on to get a degree in philosophy in college. I moved to India to the Himalayas after that and uh, studied with the Eastern you know, gurus, teachers in Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Vedanta, Zen, all of those really rich ancient traditions. And then um, eventually I moved to Hawaii after that to work in more of the healing arts, intuitive development, healing arts. Uh, and then from there, I started teaching. So I ran a school in Hawaii for intuitive development, spent seven years there, uh, and then eventually decided that was enough island life for me and uh, came back to the mainland, New York and California, and started uh, building my online programs, podcasting, you know, writing, teaching, all of that. So that's the very short version of how I got from there to here. <laughs> and where did you grow up? Uh, actually, in New Jersey, not far from you. I grew up in the shadow of the city. My parents worked in New York. Um, most of my childhood is a very New York-centric kind of uh, upbringing. You know, intense East Coast. I, I, I played ice hockey every day of my whole childhood, probably till like the day I graduated college, actually. And so I was very much in that energy. When I started meditating, I was definitely the only one. And my friends thought I was strange. But now it's cool to meditate. But then it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just like envisioning you on, you know, this ice hockey player and <laughs> this meditation practice, which is really <laughs> excellent. So what can you tell us about some of the benefits of meditation? And how, sure. long do you need, how long does it really take you to see the benefits? Yeah, I think you can see the benefits in one session. Um, or you might see how crazy you are in one session. <laughs> I was sitting on the beach with a cousin of mine once in Florida, and he goes, I'm going to meditate. And a minute later, he opens his eyes. He goes, 
that was impossible. My mind wouldn't stop running and racing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it takes some practice to quiet the mind. He said he couldn't get three breaths without his mind going in every direction. And that's most of our experiences. So when we start meditating, you know, it depends what our goals are. Uh, the benefits could be reducing anxiety and stress. It could be healing old wounds, emotional wounds, mental pain. It could be finding our answers to really deep, important questions like, what's my career path? Is that my partner? Who am I? What's the meaning of life, right? All the way down the rabbit hole. So it really depends what your, your goals are. If your goals are, which are probably about 80% of people's goals in meditating is to reduce stress and anxiety, it's a great technique and it's a great opportunity to look at not just, well, I want to get rid of anxiety, but what's causing the anxiety? So a lot of meditation teachers will, maybe they'll help you with some breathing techniques. You know, you'll listen to guided meditations that'll help you relax the body. And that's great. But I like to go a step deeper with my students and take a look at what's causing the issues. And that's where some of them run away and some of them stay and do the work. Not everybody wants to face their pain and that's totally okay. But no matter how many meditations you do, if you're not willing to look at what causes the anxiety, it'll never fully go away. It'll be like a temporary reprieve from the anxiety, uh, almost like taking some medication except organically, which is great. But if you don't get to the root cause of it, it'll, it'll just come back over and over again. So when we get deeper into meditation, we start learning how to look at what's underneath the hood. And that's always fun. Yeah, I, say. <laughs> I definitely get your point about the quick fix or the temporary solution rather than getting to the root cause of things. It's kind of like those ab workouts, like seven minute abs. We want six minute abs, five minute abs. Meditation could get like that. How fast can I do it? How quickly can I get to um, some form of inner peace? But that's not really how meditation for me works. Um, it's, it's not so much about like the time. Everyone always asks, how long should I sit? Uh, I think it's more about the commitment of I'm going to stay seated until I get through whatever energy I'm kind of stuck on or is holding me back. So in five minutes, for example, if you meditate every day for five minutes, that's great. But it takes longer than that for the noise in our minds to relax. So I would say you have to really find out what you're like, what your temperament is, and how long you really need to sit to get over some of that noise to find some inner peace. For somebody who says, I don't have time to meditate, or somebody like your, your cousin, I think it was, who was so jittery yeah. and couldn't sit still, that is really could be interpreted as like a form of resistance, like this busyness or this, I can't, you know, I can't sit still for that long. What advice would you have as somebody who's in that situation? Well, first of all, I would say that 99% of the time when somebody tells me they don't have enough time, it's just not true. It's not time that they don't have. It's this anxiety that they don't have time. It's more of a perception because you can meditate for five minutes in the morning in bed. You can meditate as you're falling asleep at night. We all have to take time to fall asleep. We can meditate then. We can meditate at our lunch hour in the shower. You know, there's lots of ways to do it. You know, so I rarely believe somebody when they tell me they don't have time. It's usually more they don't have space, that they hit some kind of energy that makes them uncomfortable. 
So that would be the first thing is it's unlikely that you don't have time. It's usually some other issue that's making you feel that way. It's, it's almost like I don't have time is usually a reflection of some kind of anxiety. So I would say find the time. It's there. Squeeze it into somewhere. The more you meditate, the less you'll be able to live without it. And you'll make the time. What was the second part of the question? Sorry. Oh, I think it was about the jittery people, people who are too yes. jittery. Yeah. So, that, well, that's part of it is the jitteriness is a form of anxiety usually. And again, we have to sit and look at it. Now, meditating might not be enough. We might need, to ther- might need therapy or coaching, healing, you know, depends how deep that, that wound goes that creates the jitteriness. Maybe you're just drinking too much coffee. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Uh, but I would say that the jitteriness is a great doorway. So don't make the jitteriness your enemy, which is what a lot of people do. It's like a problem that needs to be solved. I'm going to hit it with a hammer, the hammer of meditation. <laughs> I'm going to get every meditation I have out there and get rid of this thing. I would say focus on it like it's a doorway into your being. Like, wow, there's some jitteriness here. Something is keeping me from being myself, from being relaxed, from being at peace. And I should use this opportunity to find out what it is and heal myself. So when you sit to meditate, what I always tell my students is kind of a very simple four-step process when they get started, which is find it, feel it, face it, and heal it. So we find it, okay, uh, close my eyes. I'm noticing some jitteriness. It's like on my chest, around my head, in my stomach. Then we could sit and just without doing anything, just let ourselves feel it without fighting it. Because usually the moment we feel something we don't like, we go in resistance to it and we, and we try to push it away. So what if you were to feel it without any judgment, even if it doesn't feel good? What is jitteriness like? Is it like, what are the uh, energetic qualities to it? Is it dense? Is it fast? Is it slow vibrating? Is it heavy? You know, what, get, get to know the jitteriness almost like if you were learning a piece of music and it had sounds to it. Oh, wow, it's heavy. It's very deep over here. And then, um, so we've, we find it, we feel it, then we face it. Okay, let me look at it. I'm feeling it. Now let me look at it. What is it here to show me and teach me? Where is it coming from? What am I afraid of? Right? So we really have to f- really look at it and face it. And that's when we could heal it. So that fourth step of healing it. Oh, I'm actually really afraid of not being liked or of failure or of not being loved or accepted. We get to something much deeper than the initial jitteriness. And that's when we start to heal and shift, when we have that like aha moment. And it's strange how that aha moment works. I don't know the neuroscience of an epiphany, but we just sit with something, we grind our teeth. I I hate this. I hate meditating. I feel anxious. This is making things worse. And then if we just stay seated and still, after a while, like the storm passes and we could be there with the energy and stop fighting it and accept it. And then oddly, it's such a strange thing, but it just like shifts all of a sudden, like in the snap of a moment, it just shifts. And then we're not in resistance anymore. And then something opens up and it teaches us something. So our pain it never goes away until it teaches us what we need to know. It's a great uh, quote I love from a Buddhist monk, uh, Pema Shodron. So the jitteriness will come back again and again until you learn from it 
and then it'll go. And so what is that jitteriness trying to teach you? And then you'll heal from it. And then you can move on. Maybe you'll get some other great deep insights and answers and start being creative in meditation or, you know, uh, start designing the next step of your life. You know, there's so much that can open up once we get past the initial, you know, levels of anxiety that most of us feel. Well, that's really helpful advice. On your website, you have like a ton of excellent free trainings. And one that really attracted me was the one Mastering Intuitive Abilities. And that was just wonderful. I'd like to know how meditation can facilitate intuition. And there was something you said during the meditation that I found very interesting, and it was images contain energy. Because at some point you're taking us through, you know, we're conjuring these images and you say images contain energy. So if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. So most of us are feelers. When we go to meditate, we just feel things. And that's great. But what I do is I have my students kind of take the elevator up from the stomach into the center of the head behind the eyes where we can see mental images. And so when we're sitting and meditating, a thought can be passing by like a cloud and it could turn into an image or a memory. And usually our memories have some kind of emotional charge, some of them. The painful ones have a lot of emotional charge, right? The traumatic ones have the most. And sometimes when we don't heal something, it will float around in the ocean of our unconscious and it'll negatively affect us. And we won't even know where that's coming from or why. Why did I snap at that person? Why did I cry for no reason? Why do I feel stuck? Why do I feel hopeless? And usually that's emanating from some pain in our unconscious almost like radiation coming off of something radioactive. And sometimes as we meditate, these images will start to come up, these memories maybe in our awareness. And so we could freeze the image right in front of us in our mind's eye. And so we have the image and then we have the energy on the image. So if I, if I pause an image, like you're hitting the pause button, I'm watching a movie. Oh, this is a moment as a child where I, I felt I experienced some pain. Then we could look at the image and what's behind it and go, well, what is that energy? There's some uh, grief, there's sadness, there's some kind of trauma. And we could actually maybe even like turn it around, look at it in 3D. So every image has to be animated by an energy to have enough life force to continue to exist. So it's like blowing oxygen into a balloon. And so that image is, is getting its fuel from some kind of pain. And then if we don't heal it, it will look for more pain to feed off of. It'll look for other people with similar images to bond with. <laughs> and then we get surrounded by a bunch of miserable SOBs. Hey, how come I attracted all of these people? Because their unconscious is attracted to yours because they have similar pain. So when we bring up one of those images, we could start to, again, find it, feel it, face it, heal it, let that energy drain off. And then we could have a more let's say, neutral, clear memory, not so charged, like a charged particle uh, with whatever pain that was. And when we start to do that over and over and heal ourselves from our own trauma, from our past, I mean, just, just being human is traumatic. You don't have to have gone through anything crazy. Just being on this planet, being born in a cold hospital, you know, being, uh, feeling lonely on occasion, feeling pain, physical, emotional, mental, uh, all of that stuff sticks. And when we manually go back and heal it, 
then something about our future opens up in a new way. And so, yes, we find an image and that image has, is animated with energy. And sometimes we may need to heal that energy. Other times, maybe there's a cool energy on an image, like a creative energy, something really neat that we want to open up. So not all images are made of, of pain, just the ones that hold us back and keep us stuck. When you say that about the ones that cause us pain, I'm thinking, okay, from a practical standpoint, so if I'm healing this uh, unconscious wound that has been causing me to attract certain types of friends or partners or bosses, you know, people that I work for, if I can heal that, then I'm changing my future. I'm changing the people I'm going to be attracted to and the people who are going to be attracted to me. Yeah, exactly. And, and even just maybe more subtle, smaller scenarios of how you interact with people when you go to the grocery store or to a party, your energy field starts to change and people can subtly feel that. I have a cat and she can sense danger from a mile away. It's amazing. And I've, you know, I've been with a lot of dogs too. They, they can like feel when someone has good energy and they can feel when somebody at a distance is, is dangerous. And I've always been fascinated by that ability. I'm like, what is it that they see, feel, notice? And, and it goes beyond that for us as well as humans. Like we can sense when somebody's full of pain, emotional pain. We can sense when somebody's lighthearted and open and kind. And if we can't sense it, that might be because there's some pain in us that's keeping us from having clarity around other humans. So uh, when, when we shift our energy and we do have kind of, let's call it a positive vibration around us, that will have a ripple effect, you know, in every room we're in, in every conversation, relationship, and then we'll start manifesting from that energy and vice versa. If you got a real heavy, painful, negative energy, you'll keep manifesting from that and reinforcing some kind of belief that the world is unfair and wants to punish you and every you know, human being is evil. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to hear about your book. It's called The Seven Energies of the Soul, Awaken Your Inner Creator, Healer, Warrior, Lover, Artist, Explorer, and Master. Yep. <laughs> All of that. So the basic premise of the book and the analogy that I always share is uh, if you can imagine the way white light passes through a prism and refracts into the seven main colors of the rainbow, that's kind of how I see the seven energies of the soul. It's like when our, the light of our awareness passes through our human form out into the world and we go to create, it moves into the creator in us, into the healer, into the warrior, the lover, into the artist, the explorer, and the master. So each each of these areas is a part of our soul that wants to express itself. We want to create something. We, we want to feel wholeness and love, right? We want to build, explore, be artistic. And uh, all of these areas need fulfillment. So if we only fulfill one area of life, for example, if you're a workaholic and you're just super passionate about work, but your family life gets hurt by it, your friendships right? You never do any introspection. You're just always busy working and making money. Then you're never going to have a fulfilled existence on this planet. And so the thesis is, and this is the way I see the world, is happiness comes from a sense of balance and fulfillment in every area of life. So it's not rocket science by any means. It's just looking at each piece of life and going, all right, am I fulfilling that part of myself fully? And if not, why? And each energy can be deficient or excessive. 
So the deficient uh, creator maybe avoids a career, maybe avoids building anything out of fear of failure. And the excessive creator maybe is a workaholic. Uh, The deficient lover maybe has a closed heart, avoids relationships. And the excessive lover maybe gives love, but never really receives it. Maybe has no boundaries. Come stay in my house, take my money, do everything, uh, anything to make you feel good. The, uh, for example, the excessive artist might be, again, a workaholic with their passion, with their artwork. And the deficient artist might go, I want to sing, but I'm too afraid. Or I want to paint, but I'm scared people will judge me or it'll look bad. So in each of these areas, we can lose balance. And the point of the book, there's meditations and exercises to help you kind of assess where each energy is. First of all, you, you, you need to know Am I like a two or a 10 here in my fulfillment process? Not in my skill level, but in how fulfilled I feel. And then uh, if I am deficient or excessive, how can I bring that back to balance in a healthy way? So that's kind of where the book guides everybody. It's not rocket science, but it's not as easy as it seems either. It seems like there's not enough time or energy or I'm not good at those areas. And uh, I have invalidation or pain around those areas. So I stick to what I'm good at. And it's really like a recipe. You know, when you get all the right ingredients, you get something that emerges that didn't exist with just all the pieces, all the parts. And that's how I see uh, us all fulfilling our life paths is something new has to emerge when we fulfill all of ourselves. Nice. People who want to get the book and get it through the usual retailers. Yeah, Amazon or. Barnes and Nobles. Sure. Perfect. There's an audiobook uh, that I read myself as well. Where can people find you and learn more about your work? Sure. Uh, I have an, a meditation app. It's just called Meditation School. You could download it in the App Store. And then you can also find me at meditationschool.us. Those would probably be the two easiest places. And then I'll, also, I'll mention I have my most popular content is actually I have a sleep podcast called the Grounded Sleep Podcast, where I just guide folks to sleep. And people seem to enjoy that a lot because it seems to be a very common issue. So uh, if that's helpful for you, you can check that out. Thanks for listening to this interview with David Gandelman, author of The Seven Energies of the Soul. You can purchase the complete audiobook from any major online audiobook retailer. If you'd like more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. Thanks for listening. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A dot com.